You are listening to On the Shoulders of Dwarves, a weekly podcast about role-playing games and role-playing gamers. On the Shoulders of Dwarves. Hello and welcome to another episode of On the Shoulders of Dwarves, a weekly podcast about role-playing games and the people who play them. My name is Arana Viram. And my name is Uri Lifshitz. Hello! And today Uri really wanted to do an episode regarding players and their characters. So... We'll be talking about player characters, but specifically, what makes them compelling? What makes a specific PC, or a character in general, interesting, uh, useful in the game, not in the tactics of the game, but in the greater scope? Someone that you want to know what happens to them. Someone that you want to play. Someone that you are looking forward to see what sort of story they will get into. A compelling character. There are many ways in which you can make your character more compelling. We're going to review a few options and a few pitfalls to avoid in order to make your characters more compelling. Number one, compelling characters don't snugly fit into a stereotype. We have talked in the past at length about how to avoid character cliches and stereotypes and adding themes and creating something more interesting. And let me start by saying that it's absolutely fine to build on a stereotype. Many role-playing games kind of railroad us to fit a certain stereotype in order to conform with the tropes of the genre that they're aiming at. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Take Dungeon and Dragon, for example. It's difficult to create a smart fighter because your class often pigeonhole you into a role in the party, in the dynamics of the world. But I want to talk about more than that. I want this to be a litmus test for you. If you're looking at your character and you find that it can easily fit inside one stereotype without any but, without any yes, but he is actually, or some other caveats, then you probably could expand your characters. Think about some of the casual stereotype of the strong silent type, the dumb fighter, or the scheming mage. If that kind of a short definition encapsulate your character your character should probably grow and develop more otherwise it will not be compelling now this may not be true for npcs a lot of time npcs are just here to perform a specific role in the game or a certain narrative function and that's fine we usually don't care all that much about the npcs as characters themselves however the player characters the personalities that make our adventuring party are something that we would like to understand more. It's something that would add depth to the game, to the interactions with NPC, to the interaction inside the game. So my first tip to you would be find a stereotype that you fit in and try to focus on all the parts where you don't fit into that stereotype and develop those more. We gave many suggestions on how to do this on our second episode ever avoiding the character cliches. Mm -hmm. My second point about compelling characters is that they have evolved and they will evolve. A compelling character have a history behind them and a future in front of them. A character that doesn't have any history is one of those child turning into a hero story without anything in their background. And they're usually not very interesting. Think of Star Wars Episode 4. Luke Skywalker has no history, and he's turning into this 
excellent Jedi fighter, whatever. But he's not an interesting character. He's basically a plot device, so interesting thing would be explained to us, the viewer, through them. That's his main point in the story. Well, at least in episode 4. He does turn into an interesting character as the character progresses, when we learn that there is a history behind him, and he is the son of a famous NPC in that world, etc., etc. So, once we see that he evolved from something, it becomes interesting. When we see what he evolves into, he becomes interesting yet again. One of the main pitfalls of these kind of characters is that usually one of these two options overshadow the other. Maybe there is a character with this dark past behind them. We are constantly guessing what that was. Ah, he was an assassin for the mafia. He was the son of the red dragons. He is the red dragon. Or... Ah, oh, he's going to kill the king. He is a great assassin. He is going to do something. When one of these two options overshadow the other, your character becomes somewhat less compelling. If you want your character to be really compelling, always consider where did they come from and where do they go? And make sure that these two parts would have some depth to them, some weight in the actual definition of your character. Another great trait for characters is that they want something. They have goals. And their goals let us understand what they want so we can estimate how well they do and where they compromise on those goals. I know two great ways to add goals to your character. Number one is the simple have a short-term and long-term goal. You can even expand that to have I have a really, really short-term goal for this session. I have a longer goal for this adventure, and I have my ultimate goal, which is probably the result of the whole campaign. I want to win this battle, I want to get the Red Dragon treasure, and I want to avenge my long-dead family who was killed by a horde of goblins from another dimension called Xenorex. These are three different goals, something for right now, something to aspire to, and something that will fulfill my character, and after that, I literally have nothing more to do with this character. A different approach might be having something that you run toward and something that you run from. This also helps you a lot in developing a history and a future. My character has betrayed the Venus Corporation and I am on the run from them. But I want to discover the ultimate love passion of triangulation. That's what I am going toward. So I could bring back my long dead lover from death? Yeah, that works. Why not? And as long as I have something that I run from and something that I run toward, I'm always in motion. I am always evolving. This character is not boring because they can't afford to be. They have to move forward because they need to get somewhere. And they have to move forward because someone is pressing on them. Which brings us to our next point. Values and morality. Now, one of the things that I find most interesting about characters is the internal struggle that they have. These struggles are often what truly reveals your character's character. And these are always the results of values and morality as they clash. The choice between finishing off the Goblin King or healing your wounded friends is a question of morals. If it's just a question of priorities, I need to heal my friends so I would have enough firepower to kill the Goblin King, that's not a question of values and morality. 
the question of values and morality, is it more important for me to kill the Goblin King and save the kingdom from his wrath, or is it more important to me to keep my friends alive? This is a question of my own values and my own morals. And when these questions come into play, your characters shine. And you don't have to wait for your game master to create a situation where it comes into play. I think most characters are either in life and death situation or in some situation where they have high stakes. And every high-stakes situation is one where a choice is the result of morals and values. And finally, because this is something that I've seen in countless games, compelling characters win some and lose some. Heroes that never lose are not interesting. They may not lose at any real combat, and they may not lose in their actual larger-than-life quest, but they must lose something. They must lose their innocence. They must lose one of their goals. They must lose some of their friends. There must be sacrifice. Let me ask you now, has your character ever lost something meaningful? And if your answer to that is no, your character is probably not that compelling. So don't be afraid to take that leap, to let your character lose. You're playing D&D 5th edition, some bugbear walks in, take your character down, the rest of the party kill it, make it into something. Losing that battle caused my character to, to lose their confidence, and now I have to earn it back. Losing to that bugbear make, made me understand that life is too short, and now I must fight twice as hard for my goals. Lose something. Take a loss and make it meaningful for your character. Not every character need to tick every box in what I've said. Sometimes you want to focus on one thing and not the other. This character is all about their goals. This character is all about the conflicts between two different values. This character really, really wants something. So it's fine not to tick all the boxes, but make sure you have at least one or two of these. It would make your character more compelling to others, and dare I say it, a lot more compelling for you. Dear listeners, you might have noticed that I was suspiciously quiet during all of this. <laughs> this is because while Uri was explaining what he sees as compelling, I was thinking and rethinking this whole approach because I'm not completely sure what it is that we talk about when we say compelling. I would like to try and focus it as narrowly as possible, which means I will have to speak about myself. And when I play a character, what I find compelling. So it will be a very personal journey that I will now take you on. First, I am interested in the character's upcoming journey. I want to see where it will lead them, what decisions are waiting for them, how will they make their choices, what will they figure into the decision-making process? What events will eventually come to influence them? Um, what characters will become important to them? How they will handle whatever is happening to them? This is a different take on some of the things that Uri said, but in a very personal level, it's just the main thing I'm looking forward 
to see in a character. In order for a character to be compelling, I want to know what is going to happen to them. And I think it's very easy to see how one character will be compelling compared to another. For example, a blacksmith who is blacksmithing in his smithy in the town of nowhere has no journey. There's nothing coming for him. However, a princess who just escaped her palace after it was overrun by rebels, she has a journey upcoming. I'm not sure where it will take her. I'm not sure if she wants to go back and retake the palace. I'm not sure. I'm not, I don't, I'm not even sure if she is a fighter or if she is a sage or she is a runner or she is a victim. I don't know what she is yet, but I know there's a journey coming. So I start every character that I play as asking myself, how can I place them in a situation from which they have no choice but getting into some sort of a journey? Something will happen. The second point is sort of the opposite of this, and I sum it as their colorful past makes them mostly predictable. That is, they have some cool things that happened to them in the past, and therefore, I sort of know what they will do. Not only I, everyone around the table sort of can predict what they will probably be doing. What will happen when they, for example, interact with another character that we know well? We can all imagine it. Sort of like when we see two superheroes that we know very well from comics or movies or whatever, we can already imagine what will happen when they meet each other because we know them very well. We know them thanks to their colorful past. That is, things and decisions and choices and events that happened to them that made them into who they are. And I think it's important they are, that they are predictable. For me, that's very compelling because it makes it easy. It's not exactly the same as stereotypical. It's just that I sort of know how to get into the mindset of the character. They're, they're predictable. I, I can, when I sit down next to the table, get into character and just let things flow out of my mouth without thinking about it too much. If you go back to the blacksmith, the blacksmith had a blacksmithy life, and all of his life he blacksmithed. <laughs> uh, that's, that's not colorful, and also it's not predictable. I'm not really sure what will happen when I meet with him, uh, when I talk to him, when I play him. I mean, is it just mundane? Does he just walk around, take a cup of coffee, drink the coffee, walk to the smithy and smith? That, that's, that's very predictable, I agree, but there's nothing going on there. Compared to the princess, let's say she learned how to ride horses and she really, really liked horses. And one of her horses died when she was young and it was the fault of the horse master, or probably wasn't, probably it was her fault, but the horse master was banished because the king and queen decided it was their fault. And now I have some history for her and I'm not sure she is completely predictable, but... I can, for example, imagine she is very outgoing. She really likes horses and riding and the outdoors. And maybe she has something of a tomboy or some sort of a wanderlust. And maybe she feels very guilty about what happened then. And therefore, whenever she is placed in a situation, she will take responsibility because now she can. So she's maybe too quick to take responsibility. And now I have something more concise to think about and to use. 
And that makes her compelling for me, at least, because she's then easier to play. You know, it's interesting. When I was teaching improvisational theater, there is a French style called Le Ronde, which is basically everyone standing in a line and you see a series of scenes between two characters. It's always character one with character two, then character two with character three, then character three with character four, and you go over through the entire cast. And the purpose of this style of play is that you try to make the character as well-defined as you can. And how do you test that? Once you're done going over all the character and you have seen every specific character in two situations, in one scene with the person on the left and in one scene with the person on the right, you're saying, okay, let's take this character, character number two, and character number six. Tell me what would happen when these two will meet. Now, if everyone pretty much agrees on what will happen, you can say, okay, we have a good characterization for these two characters. Mm. Because we know what are their traits and how they would collide if they meet. If this is an ordinary, everyday blacksmith, and this is a cat girl with a wanderlust, they probably will meet, say hello, the blacksmith will be polite, the cat girl will ask what kind of wares does he have, and they will part as, as not even as friend, they would part as customer and client, and that's it. And if there would be a womanizing bard and a high elf sorcerer, if those characters are well-defined by this specific trait, the bard would hit on the elf, the elf would scorch the bard with a heat ray, and having well-defined traits make you kind of predictable, and it's not a bad thing, I think. I would like to point our listeners at how Uri plays consistent characters, uh, an article on our website under the how Uri dot 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 tab. I think I pointed it several times in the past as well, because I really like it. I think it's a concise, simple system of of keeping track of colorful past events and using them to create a predictable personality. And I, I don't do it as thoroughly as Uri suggests there. I only have like two or three points uh, at the beginning of the game and I usually only keep on having like two or three points as we go along. I like to play characters that are pretty straightforward, uh, but, uh, but you, should, you should read it in any case. Finally, my last point is Finally, my last point, I like characters that stand for themselves, that they are kind of a badass in whatever field they specialize in. And I don't mean that they can lift a sword and run around and butcher everyone and so they are badasses. I mean, whatever it is that they are, they definitely are that. And they are willing, they have the motivation, even if not yet the skills or capability, to continue forward in their journey. For example, even the small sickly boy who is bound to a wheelchair and is an urchin and is dirty and everything, he's not a caricature, he's not the mumbling, uh, softly speaking and full of sorrow uh, boy. No, he's conquering his situation or at least showing signs that he's capable of it. He is great in that wheelchair. It does not limit him. He is very able to speak about his situation. He is very able. <laughs> able is, the, is an interesting word here. He is able in any way he can, despite his situation. In some way, he uses his situation. Like, for example, he can imitate the caricature of the mumbling a soft-spoken boy because he knows some people are expecting it, and he uses it to manipulate them. He's in control. Or 
if we are playing a character that really is only like level one or whatever, like at the beginning of their journey in a way, then maybe he's not yet able to do all of that. But he's showing signs that he's capable of it and he wants to go there. He will not be a victim. He will be a badass. And that's compelling for me in player characters. NPCs can be caricatures. They probably shouldn't, as we said before. But sometimes... Uh, some probably should, some shouldn't. Ag- agreed, agreed. It really depends on the role in the story. Yes. But PCs should never be. Unless um, you're playing a specific game in which that, you know, that's the whole point. We are playing a Saturday morning cartoon sort of thing where everyone is just exactly what you think they are. And... Uh, that would be compelling for a session, I think, <laughs> which, which could be enough for that sort of game. But probably not in a long-term game. That's it. That's my take on compelling characters. That's about it, and it's time for us to surmise. But before we do so, a recommendation. How about you, listener, send us an email? Do so at show at dwarfcast.net, or you can send us a tweet or a Facebook message, or whatever it is that you want, uh, with any question or suggestion that you have about things that we should do, things we shouldn't do, and things we should talk about. And now for the promised summary. Uh, Ori, how would you summarize? What I usually do with my characters is I take the points that I've mentioned, and I go over them one by one and say, is this relevant? Is my character interesting in this sense? Is my character interesting in this sense? Is my character interesting in this sense? Do I want my character to be interesting in any sense? Maybe this is a one-shot and I don't want to invest the time and effort. In some games, I prefer to do everything on the fly because I want the whole creation process to be interactive with the other players. There is no right way to create a compelling character. There are many foolproof ways of making a non-compelling one. That could be to just pick a stereotype. It could be to not develop your character. It could be to not let it be affected by the events of the game. These are all definite misses. But there are many other ways of actually developing your character and make it compelling. If you have more ideas, please tell us. We would love to hear them. If you have a character which is very compelling and something specific made it so, please tell us. I would love to hear more about your character and what makes them compelling. And now, it's time for us to take the load off. This world is carried on the shoulders of the war. This is the part of the show in which we talk about role-playing games in our own personal lives. Iran? Yes, sir? I have played a role-playing game <gasps> this week. Amazing. I have played an actual tabletop Role-playing game on top of an actual table. This has not happened in months. It, uh, indeed. <laughs> yes, it did. This has not happened in weeks. <laughs> indeed. Uh, le- in the last weekend, due to lifting of some of the restrictions here in Israel, my gaming group actually met face-to-face, and we have played on an actual table with actual, well, not miniatures, but tokens, and it was glorious. I, I really miss that. I, I miss... Uh, I miss body language, apparently. That's one of the mm. things I miss about role-playing games. It's a body big thing. Language. It's a big thing. It's a big thing, yes. It's a big thing in any kind of human interaction. To actually um, get the vibes of someone else, not just what they're saying, not just facial expression, but the whole deal. 
to be affected by someone's full range of expression, I think is the term. Mm. Uh, that was awesome. And I also had an interesting point. Uh, a few sessions ago, my character actually started dating an NPC. Now, we're playing Pathfinder 1st Edition, very action-oriented, not the kind of campaign where romantic interests are pursued. But things happened. You, you know characters. They do whatever they oh, want. Oh, characters. <laughs> uh, and I actually sent a message to my GM saying, listen, I find this awesome and very interesting. I don't think it fits the campaign or the other players or, or the flow of the game. And let's keep that on the sideline. Let's keep progressing that on the side because this is a really interesting narrative device for me to develop my character. And if you want to bring it into the game as, an, as a storytelling device, that's fine by me. But I think the whole romantic relationship thing should be segued off screen. And we talked about it, we agreed, and it really pays off. I think being attentive to what your game really is about and what element fits well with it and what element take away the attention and excitement is really important. I think it's a good example also of making suggestions to your DM and not simply assuming mm. that they will know everything and do everything that's needed because your GM don't know what goes on in your head. Yes. I'm sure my GM didn't know that I want to pursue this or not, whether I think it would fit or not, and how, how much I'm willing as a player to give up on something that is important for my character. And yeah. in this case, the answer was, hell, I don't care about that. That's something interesting for me, the player, to do with my character. But I don't think it's interesting for the game. Yeah, you, you took responsibility about a decision, a choice that you made during the shared storytelling experience. And that's a good thing. I think it's also a good take on the old, you know, that's what my character would do. Mm. Fine. But that's not what your party would enjoy. So this could be something that your character does that does not affect the whole gaming group and campaign. Apparently, it's an option. <laughs> I uh, uh, did less. I have less to say. So therefore, I will point the listeners back at what I've talked about uh, on our last episode, uh, the bundle of my three adventures on DM's Guild. Uh, there's a link in the show notes. Uh, it's 12 boxes of your money for three adventures. Is it 12 bucks? Is it 8 bucks? I think it's 8 because each adventure is 4. And the point of a bundle is to be cheaper. I think it's three adventures for two. Yes, now that I think about it, that's probably the case. But don't take my word for it. Go and check it in the show notes. Uh, you can also uh, just search for my name in the DMs Guild, Eran uh, Aviram, and that will probably guide you at the, the closest uh, adventure uh, from which the bundle is uh, available through the bottom part of the page. That's it, I think. Both Uri and I are also in development of some new stuff, but we'll be talking about this in the future. For now, the only thing we have left to say to you is... Shoulders of Dwarves is shared under Creative Commons by Attribution Non-Commercial 4. Intro and outro are by The Cliché Dio. And you can email us at show at dwarfcast.net. On the shoulders of dwarves.